welcome to the Scam Economy with your host, Matt Bender. Scam Economy, everyone. I am your host, Matt Binder, and on today's episode of the show, we're talking about SBF, Sam Bankman Fried, the founder of the crypto exchange FTX, and the crypto hedge fund Almeida. Now, even if you're not familiar with SBF, you might have heard of him because this guy always seems to show up to bail out some dying, scammy crypto company. And it seems like his companies could probably use a bailout of their own uh in the future now my guest today returns to the show and he he really left me speechless with some of these findings he has but first if you like what i'm doing here and you'd like to support the show please check out patreon.com slash matt binder to become a monthly paying subscriber you can also check out youtube.com slash matt binder and subscribe to the youtube channel go to twitch.tv slash matt binder and follow me there and of course scameconomy.com for all the links to the podcast version of this show And while you're there, click through to Apple Podcasts or Spotify and leave a review for the show on one of those platforms. Now let's get to FTX, Alameda, and Scam Bankman, excuse me, Sam Bankman Freed. And joining me now to discuss all of this, it is my pleasure to welcome back to this show, Mike Bergersberg of Dirty Bubble Media. Mike, welcome back. Hey, how's it going? It's going, it's going. I mean, I'm looking at this, uh, the, these two pieces you wrote. Um, and, you know, while we're talking, you are working on a third, which we'll get into at the end of the show, because by the time this goes up, that'll be out. And, you know, it all comes together. Um, and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, like, how, how, is, how is this not being covered in the mainstream media in the financial media, you know, the finance media, the, the tech media, even the crypto centric media, which at least does mention Sam Bankman fried, AKA SBF and FTX every now and then it's almost like they're missing all this too. And it's, it's unsurprising to me that you found this because you're the guy who was, you know, basically uh, ringing the warning bells of Celsius uh, before anybody else. Uh, but it's still astounding that you seem to be the only person once again shooting the warning shot in the sky to let everybody know that hey, pay attention to this because shit's about to come crumbling down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, honestly, I don't understand it. Um, I mean, I think you know I've interacted with a number of the journalists who have done a very good job of covering the Celsius story and. I mean, part of it is, you know, their pressure from like a traditional media perspective where you have to be absolutely certain of anything you publish because you're afraid of being sued. And I think part of it's that I think part of it's they're not familiar enough with the blockchain technology. Calling it technology makes me want to throw up. But the blockchain, you know, the value of blockchain, which is that every transaction is mutably recorded. You have a record that's totally reliable. Right. But they, they aren't familiar enough with this these techniques to be willing to publish based on them. And I think that's their limitation more than anything else. Right. So this is actually, you know, uh, uh, Sam Bankman Freed, FTX and Alameda have all come up on this show before, but we're now, this is episode 37 and I've yet to do a, an episode myself that puts the spotlight on them. And I'm, you know, I'm nipping that in the bud. Now this is the episode. And so for people who aren't aware, which is probably the majority of my listeners, because a lot of them are interested in crypto but are not, you know, seeped into the crypto world, who is Sam Bankman-Fried? I guess let's start there. Well, your guess is good as mine. But <laughs> what we do know about Sam is that he's a relatively young guy. Uh, started out as a as a trader, I believe, at Jane Street, which has gotten involved in crypto, among other things. And um, he switched to trading crypto, I believe, in like 2017 or 2018. Um, and he's, he's famous for having made a bunch of money trading the quote-unquote kimchi premium, which is basically arbitraging the difference in crypto prices between South Korea and the rest of the world. Incidentally, the reason why there's a 
significant difference in the price between the two or between South Korea and the rest of the world is that crypto was used in South Korea to escape capital controls and essentially launder money out of the country. So it gives you an idea of what this person makes his money doing from the start of it, which is essentially enabling people to break the law. Um, subsequently, uh, so he found he founds Alameda Research, which is this crypto crypto quote unquote hedge fund, and then later founds FTX, which is an exchange. So he has this enviable position of simultaneously having one of the largest crypto trading businesses in the world and also having one of the largest crypto exchanges in the world where he can do lots and lots of business. Um, so, you know, that's kind of a unique position to be in, although, you know, another good example of that is Tether, which also has its own hedge fund uh, that does its own trading. So uh, it's kind of nice because you can trade against your own customers and you have a lot of uh, insight into how the exchange works when you own it. Right. Well, wow, that is, you know, it's interesting because, you know, as we're talking, Elon Musk is in the news and, you know, he's a billionaire and the richest guy in the world, Musk. And, uh, you know, he's ransacking Twitter, his new his new toy. And, you know, at least with Musk, though, we, we know based on where he made his money, you know, through uh, X.com partnering with PayPal and then PayPal and then. Uh, Tesla and SpaceX and all those sweet government subsidies. And, you know, we, we, we sort of can figure out and know it's pretty public where his paper riches lie. But with SBF, I don't think people know that this, this guy's a billionaire as well, or, or so he says, or I believe even like Forbes has been able to say he's a, a billionaire. But like you mentioned up top, we don't really know him so wait, how is he a billionaire? Like what, just from these crypto trades that he made? It's mostly, I think, equity and FTX and probably, I, I suppose, Alameda as well, although I'm not sure if that has any like real public valuation. Um, I actually don't remember, I can look it up, what the valuation of FTX is, but FTX has done a number of equity raises. Um, let me take a look real quick, actually. I'm actually kind of curious. Sure. Uh, yeah, so crypto exchange FTX was valued at $32 billion back in January 31st of 2022. Uh, and, and obviously, these valuations are based on relatively small amounts of equity raises that inflate the value of the company. For example, Celsius Network was at one point valued at $3 billion in equity. Um, and obviously, we know that was worth zero. So, you know, most of Sam's wealth, kind of like Elon Musk, actually, is really paper wealth. It's, it's trapped in a company. And the question is, is this company really worth anything near what the uh, private markets say it is? Right. I, I was reading that he uh, he had promised to invest like a billion dollars into uh, various Democratic Party campaigns mm -hmm. and PACs for the midterms. And he only ended up investing like a, a couple 10 million or something. And 50 million. It, 50 million and that left like he promised a lot 50 million is a lot not a yeah. billion and he left like a lot of like democratic party campaigns and packs and groups like stuck because they were expecting that money that was promised which I, i'm amazing that these crypto lobbyists do this sort of thing and they still get what they want with these uh, politicians basically out there simping for crypto. It's it's stunning. Even after the crash, you see it. It's amazing. But um, yeah, I mean, what's interesting to me is like, listen, like we, we see the troubles with all these exchanges, Coinbase, Binance, uh, you know, Crypto.com, Kraken, and, you know, you keep going with Gemini. All these exchanges are... Uh, what is it? One is like KuCoin or Ku, whatever it's called. Um, and regardless of the issues with them, I mean, I, I've seen people use these platforms. They come up in like various discussions. Like it's so bizarre because like FTX, who's 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 you think a big exchange like that would be all over the place? <laughs> well, that's the thing about FTX is that they've always marketed themselves as. Uh, the institutional crypto exchange, right? Like mm -hmm. it's only, I mean, there's individuals trading on there. I mean, I know, I know individuals who do trade on FTX. Like there are, there are people using it, but uh, they've always marketed themselves as like, this is where the big boys come to play. Um, you know, and, and obviously you have Sam's hedge fund sitting there trading on FTX every day. So, you know, yeah, that's true. There are, you know, institutional people using it. There are people using it, but uh 
you know, the question of how much of that activity is, uh, say, people trading with themselves, mm. uh, right, which has always been a problem in crypto from day one, um, is questionable and, you know, it's very hard to prove without having their internal records. Right, right. So let's get into to this now because Alameda, which is SBF's crypto hedge fund, I first really got familiarized with them when I was researching for my episode on the failed crypto lender Voyager. And when I was looking into the details for that episode of this show, I found that Voyager owed $75 million to Alameda. And then I find out that SBF was sending 400 some odd million dollars to Voyager to help bail them out after everything started to crash and they basically were going bankrupt. And I was just trying to understand that. Like, if someone owes you $75 million, why would you send them 400 plus million more in hopes to, I guess, what? They get to a place where they can then pay you back that 400 plus million, but also then the 75 million they owe you? Like, that seems like a, a risk that doesn't make sense. It makes more sense just to write that 75 million off. What's what's the deal there? Do do you know? Honestly, I haven't looked into it too much. Um, what I do know is that the ties between those two companies were very close for a very long time, and that Alameda, well, actually, FTX ends up buying Voyager. Like the long and short of the story is that, and they've ended up buying them for essentially very little actual money. Uh, essentially, what happens is they're basically just exchanging. Uh, basically, all the all of Voyager's customers are now FTX customers. Uh, so long story short, Sam was able to absorb this the the remnants of this bankrupt company uh, for very little for very little amount of money, and it's very possible that there were large amounts of of debt that were hidden within that company that were never uh, you know had to be uh, what's the word shown essentially because Sam was able to kind of keep it and, and kind of shove it under the rug. And in Celsius, we actually see hints that he's considering trying to do the same thing. Um, although he hasn't made any formal statements of that yet. Okay, so 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 let let's get into this. This was what I was asking you the Voyager question off the off the cuff because that was my introduction to Alameda. But your recent string of articles is specifically on on Celsius and SBF, FTX, and Alameda also being tangled. In that web, and obviously Celsius is uh, a much bigger fish than uh, Voyager was. Um, so, what 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 led you down here? First of all, to the Sam, the Bankman Fried, and or uh, FTX and Celsius connection. Yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've been watching them for a long time because you know FTX was always always seemed to be Celsius's biggest uh, transacting partner, like. You know, there were, I was always watching hundreds of millions of dollars in assets flowing from Celsius to FTX and then back to Celsius to FTX to other parties through FTX back to Celsius. So I've known for a while that they were uh, they had a very close and very special relationship. Um, what got me really focused and made me write the the series of articles was a couple things. Um, part of it is Sam saying that he's or hinting that he may try to buy Celsius. Um, makes me kind of question what its motivations are. Um, second, the fact that according to the bankruptcy filings, um, according to the Mashinsky declaration, which was one of the things filed in the initial bankruptcy of Alex Mashinsky himself, uh, actually Celsius owed FTX $108 million immediately prior to the bankruptcy. And somehow during that brief period of time between them freezing withdrawals and declaring bankruptcy, that debt got paid back. Which obviously, I mean, to me, is a preferential transfer, but that's you know a different question, a question for the lawyers, perhaps. Um, but it, all it speaks to is that they had a very close and very special relationship, and I decided that somebody really needed to kind of dig into what that relationship looked like, at least looking at it from the perspective of where did the money go and and what came back. Right. It just occurred to me that you know we're getting into Celsius now, and 
well, I've done a few episodes on it and one of which you were, you were on. Um, if someone's listening for the first time and this is their introduction, you know, they want to hear about SBF and FTX. So this is their first episode. Um, can you give us a brief overview of the Celsius situation? So Celsius was a crypto lending platform, essentially pretending to be a bank, um, offering products that were either loans where you would give them crypto and then they would give you dollars back as a loan, or you could deposit your crypto and they would pay you a return on that crypto. Um, and they would do various things with it in order to generate that return in theory. You know, in practice, it turns out, uh, based on court filings, based on my own research, based on statements of employees, based on lawsuits, that Celsius was essentially operating as a Ponzi scheme for a large portion of its history. Um, you know, there's over $2 billion that has gone missing from this company um, over the course of its existence. And, um, you know, the, the founder of that company... Uh, Mr. Mashinsky, Alex Mashinsky, uh, has very close ties to a number of different parties, including FTX, Tether, which is another close friend of, of Sam Bankman-Fried, as well as some very unsavory characters from uh, a number of different countries overseas. Um, so essentially what, what they pretended to be and what they were is two very different things. And uh, it turns out that Sam Bankman-Fried and FTX and Almeida were up there next to it. Jeez. And so... When Celsius starts, or even before, before Celsius starts pausing um, withdrawals from, you know, uh, retail investors, everyday people who aren't these crypto, you know, bigwigs and, and insiders, um, before he, uh, before Mashinsky and Celsius paused those withdrawals, FTX seems like, maybe I'm, I, I could be misunderstanding this, but it seems like Celsius is is letting FTX in on there's there's issues. Yeah, so essentially what happened, and this is for the people that aren't familiar with it, on June 13th of this year, Celsius froze withdrawals, essentially saying, hey, all my customers, uh, good luck, uh, goodbye. Uh, we'll give you your money back eventually, but we have to take care of some things first. And then in about 30-day period between then and uh, July 13th, when they filed for bankruptcy in, in New York uh, court or federal New York federal court, um, there was over like uh, there are billions of dollars in asset transfers that occur. And most of them go from Celsius Network to the FTX exchange um, in the form of various cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, uh, Rap Bitcoin, uh, Ethereum, staked Ethereum and others. And then in return, Celsius mysteriously receives about a billion dollars worth of the stablecoin USDC using it to pay back loans. Now the exact like the exact order of these transactions is complex. In some situ in some instances it appears that FTX may have been fronting them money to pay back these loans and then Celsius would pull out collateral and send it to FTX. But the long and short of it is that I was able to show that a large portion of the whole in Celsius's balance sheet in terms of individual crypto tokens uh, is attributable to this event, this 30 day period, and just a little bit before that where Celsius was sending all these assets to FTX and apparently liquidating them in order to pay back other loans. So, so basically if you're, you know, if you're a Celsius uh, investor here who was hoping to make these, these crazy high yields and you were, you were fooled into basically what we now know. I mean, even like uh regulate official, like government regulator in Vermont was like on the record, basically saying this looks like a Ponzi. Um, mm-hmm. Basically, it seems like your money went to FTX. Well, it was a trans. It was a trans transaction. I mean, these these assets were sold. If if you look at if you balance it out, right? Like it's it's mostly balanced in the sense that for every dollar worth of crypto that disappears off of Celsius's balance sheet, dollars in the form of stable coins came back. Now, among that, a hundred and eight million dollar loan from FTX to Celsius ends up being discharged. So FTX gets their cut, but the most of it is is like they're transferring these assets and then they're either being sold or somehow uh, swapped into uh, dollars, which then is used to pay back loans from DeFi protocols. So essentially what Celsius had done was they had leveraged themselves really heavily using these DeFi protocols like Aave, Compound, Maker, um, in order to borrow these dollar stable coins and then send them off to places unknown. Um, and it turned out when, when push came to shove and Celsius needed to pay those loans back, they weren't able to 
they weren't able to find those dollars anymore. Wherever they had gone, they weren't able to bring them back. And the only way Celsius was able to pay those debts off was by selling the very collateral they had borrowed against. And this all so, happened. This oh, all happens. Ahead. This all happens before the freeze on that June day, correct? No, no. This is after the freeze. After the freeze. So for this the most is... part, there are, there are a couple of transactions that occur like slightly before that. Um, I believe there's like a fifty thousand trans uh, transfer fifty thousand staked ether, which would be worth like seventy five or hundred million dollars at the time. Um, that that occurs a little bit before the freeze, but most of these asset transfers occur after the point where Celsius customers could pull out. This is yeah. This is because if you're you know if you're a Celsius customer, you're not happy that this is this is happening, but you're under the assumption that everyone's funds are stuck, and you know you got Mashinsky out there saying uh, him and all of his executives at Celsius they couldn't touch their their money either, and you know you're you're finding that these large sums of of crypto are are going all over the place during this supposed freeze. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's so, so what, how much in total has, has been passed around so far? Well, it was hundreds of millions of dollars worth of crypto assets that left Celsius network and never came back. And in exchange, a little over a billion dollars worth of USDC flows back through FTX to Celsius. Um, of that, it appears the vast majority was used to pay back these DeFi loans, which Celsius had taken out back in, largely back in like 2021. Um, that's something I'm still digging into is like what happened to all this money that they borrowed. Um, so but these, that's are loans, these are loans Celsius took out for itself, its business. Well, who knows? That's that's the point right. is that, you know, I've, I've tried to figure out, you know, you can, there, there's various things you can attribute some of the expenditures to things like, I'm sure it costs a lot of money to run the business. They had like 900 employees before they collapsed. Um, only in multiple countries. Um, they made a number of large investments, like $600 million in Bitcoin mining. Um, they bought a company in Israel for $110 million that was worth very little compared to what they actually paid for it, um, and other things like that. So that you can you can follow and you can say, okay, well, there's a lot of the money goes to these things, but there's still a lot that's unaccounted for. Um, you know, For example, I mean, they lent $75 million to Three Arrows Capital, and obviously that's long gone. You know, that's one example of where they where they saw some major losses. Um, do, do we know? Do we know yet? I'm sorry. Th- I, I always that number always shocks me. It's not even a money number that Celsius had 900 employees. <laughs> do we, yeah, I think it do, was 900. It was like not, it was like it was like 700 to 900. I think it was 900 at the end. But do, do we do we still not know what all these guys and did? I mean, 900 for what essentially it, is a Ponzi scheme. It seems like you just need a few people to pull that off. It takes a lot of work to run a Ponzi scheme. You might be surprised. <laughs> you might be surprised. I've talked to employees who were working there as this happened. And they were working their asses off trying to keep the company afloat. Did did, uh, they, did those employees know they were working for a Ponzi or were no. they sort of – no? Well, right? I think they probably figured out it out towards the end, yeah. But right. um, you know, I think if you don't look that closely at it, right – and you see that the company has billions of dollars in assets lying around, like right on chain, and you could show like, oh, hey, we have billions of dollars sitting in collateral on these DeFi protocols. Like, obviously, we're solvent. That's what they always would tell people. Uh, you, you can fall for it. And I mean, Celsius, towards the end, they were hiring real, they were hiring executives from actual banks, right? Like their CFO was like from an actual bank. A number of their key executives were like, experienced financial professionals. These aren't people that like their original executives are like very questionable individuals. Uh, but towards the end, they were trying to hire like quote unquote legitimate folks who apparently fell for this scam. And I know for a fact that a big part of their compensation package was sell token, which is, you know, worth zero. Uh, so the fact that these people would fall for that, I, I don't know. I mean, I can't explain that, but. Right. I mean, I, I it, it really does seem like, I mean, this this all puts like you know Bernie Madoff to shame, really. I mean, mm-hmm. this is this is so big and convoluted. And even while I'm talking to you and I, you know, I read the pieces. Um, you're explaining it uh, even better because it helps to have someone you know walk you through it sometimes. And I'm still like trying to in my brain map out these transactions, and it's like almost impossible because it's well, it's so honestly. Cr- 
my my opinion is that the reason why it's so difficult to explain some of these things is because it's just so stupid. <laughs> you can't you you know like you try to think well like I mean here's an example for you okay and this is something that we're going to get to towards the end when we talk a little bit more about Alameda's financial position right um Celsius had its own token which is called the Cell token okay. And part of the, the fundamental design of this business was that this token would be used as a quote-unquote flywheel. This is what Alex Mashinsky called it. It was a flywheel model. And the idea was that if you if the company goes and they buy this token, they, they create this token, which has a fixed number. It's like 700 million tokens, right? The company holds a bunch of those tokens on its balance sheet. And then what they do is that they, they take the money that they generate from their business to buy those tokens on the market, Right. The idea being that somehow that will lead to the token price going up forever. And then you're storing more and more financial money in there. People become more interested in the project, buy the token. And it, it's like this self-fulfilling virtuous cycle, almost like a financial perpetual motion machine. Okay, That's what Celsius was doing with a lot of their customers' money. They were literally taking customers' deposits and spending it on pumping this stupid token up. Okay, That's how mm. stupid this is. It's It's literally like... And then people apparently were lending against this thing, right? I mean, like, there are people lending real money against these fake tokens. This is something that would never happen in traditional finance. Like, however dumb, you know, like AIG was for buying credit defaults or buying uh, the uh, collateralized loan obligations or whatever, like, at least those were backed by something. At least there were mortgages somewhere. Like, these tokens are backed by literally nothing more than market manipulation. Right. Can you? That's can how you, stupid this is. Can Can you? I know this is the. We're going back now to the basics of how Celsius work. But can you explain how the sell token um, basically factored into the entire crypto lending scheme? Well, this is this is the fact. Okay, the fact is that, and I'm I'm taking to calling this the flywheel scheme because I think Alex Mashinsky deserves to have the honor of having named uh, this new type of scam. Uh, it's a flywheel scheme, and actually most crypto companies and most crypto projects are a version of a flywheel scheme uh like the algorithmic stable coins like terra luna project that's that's another version of the same scam right the idea is that by holding a bunch of tokens like you let's say you issue 100 tokens right your company holds back uh, i don't know 75 of them you issue like 10 of them or, or 15 of them to like insiders and then the remaining 10 you sell off to your suckers. Okay. So there's 10 tokens out there. You have 75 on your balance sheet and then your insiders hold 15. What you do is you have your insiders gradually sell off their tokens into the market. Your company buys those tokens back, whether by using other people's money through loans or through, you know, other borrowed assets, you pump the value of your token up, Right. So then what you can do is you can accumulate tokens, mostly accumulated from insiders, okay? And then because the market says, hey, these tokens have this value, let's say, you know, $1,000 a token or something, you suddenly have a massive amount of assets sitting on this supposed balance sheet, right? You've literally printed, printed money from thin air. That's what this does. And then what you can do, for example, this is what Celsius Network did, okay? They pump their token up to like $8 a token. So the total value of the tokens in existence was like, I don't know, $5 billion or something, right? Then they go to actual real institutional investors like Westcap, which is an institute, like a major investing uh, firm, and LaCDPQ, which is one of the largest pension funds in the world. Okay, and they say, hey, look guys, we are at the forefront of financial innovation. We're at the forefront of crypto. We're at the forefront of the web 3.0, whatever garbage. And look at all this money we have. Look at all this net equity we have on our balance sheet. And somehow, I don't know how, I, I'll never understand how, these institutional investors looked at this and they said, this looks pretty good. Look at all this money they have. We're going to invest you know, $600 million in this company. That's how, and that's, that's how Celsius worked. That's how Celsius was managed to scam uh, a major institutional investor and one of the world's largest pension funds out of hundreds of millions of dollars, in addition to their own customers, out of billions of dollars. But that's not just Celsius, right? Like, I call it a flywheel scheme because that's what Alex called it. But, like, realistically, that's what every crypto company is doing. Any any company that has its own token, that's what they're doing. Right. 
I mean, I think you just explained it better than anyone's ever explained the crypto lending like company scheme. Seriously, that was amazing. <laughs> I'm like at a loss for words because it was, really just puts it all out there. Um, you know, I, I think what, what really, I mean, I can't speak specifically because when it comes to the financial world, that's not my area of expertise at all. But I know in the tech world, it's really, really stupid simple to just use your bravado, use your, you know, your big words, uh, act like you're some sort of, uh, you know, some Nostradamus, some, uh, uh, you could look at some futurist that can see what's going to be big and pretend you had some, uh, you know, paper money startups behind you that you sold off. And all of a sudden, the mainstream tech media are going goo goo gaga over you. I mean, we see it all the time in the tech world. Uh, I, I would guess, even though it, 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 I guess, surprises me a little that the financial industry would fall for that too. But I guess they're really no different. Nope, they aren't, unfortunately. And you know, as to why that is, you could probably spend a whole podcast talking about that. Uh, it's human nature, I think, fundamentally. Uh, people are suckers, right? And when you're playing with somebody else's money, the the rules are different. But long story short. That's what all of crypto boils down to. It all boils down to a version of what Celsius Network was doing. And right. that's a problem because it means that at the end of the day, there's a lot of real dollars that have flowed into the system and there's a lot of money owed to real people. And all that's backing it up is thin air. Right. So, so now let's let's now that you explained a little bit more uh, there with what specifically was going on with with cell token, which I know we've discussed before, but it was a good good refresher there. Um, FTX comes back into the picture because by listing the token, they basically enabled this manipulation of the token, and mm -hmm. a lot of this trading of the cell token, this manipulation of it, was happening. Uh, on FTX. Yes. In fact, almost all of it. And really? so uh, what, one of the things I show in the article, and this is backed up by filings from the Vermont securities regulators, which shout out to them. They've been doing an excellent job. Um, is that Celsius in a period of like six months accumulates 42 million cell tokens. And I can show that all of those were accumulated on FTX. They go right. They end up being pulled off of FTX to a Celsius wallet, and you can show that during that period, their purchases of that token were associated with keeping that price afloat above five dollars a token. Uh, and once they stopped purchasing the token, they stopped accumulating on FTX. The price of the token rapidly collapsed. Um, so you can pretty much like the the correlations are are very striking, and and we there's enough there's enough evidence there. I mean, Celsius themselves was admitting they were admitting that they were purchasing this token on the market. The, the, the extent of their purchases was maybe not, you know, discussed. Um, the fact that they were employing a market maker that Wintermute, which is a, a well-known uh, market making trading firm in crypto, was involved in this as well. But yeah, FTX was facilitating the scam from uh, January 1st of 2021 until um, actually, you know, basically still today. There's still there's still some interesting stuff going on with this stupid token, but it's not really worth talking about anymore. Right. I mean... Maybe it will be in the future. Uh, unfortunately, it seems like it seems like all these companies just won't die, even when it's like it's like they're zombied, uh, zombified companies, really. Um, so, so they're manipulating it through FTX, and then they freeze withdrawals. And you went through the whole back and forth process of so much of this money in crypto being passed back and forth and being used to pay off uh, DeFi loans. And really just evaporating into thin air. Um, and then we get to Alameda Research. Explain what, where, where Alameda comes in here. Because we already have the connection to the, the dying crypto lending firm that's already freezing its customers out, yet still working with FTX to get their own money. Um, and FTX taking part in helping perpetuate the scam that is Celsius through sell token and then also helping Celsius make these trades when everything's fr supposedly frozen. Mm -hmm. Where does Alameda come in here? So that's the part I haven't totally figured out yet in terms of the relationship between Alameda and Celsius. 
Um, what I can tell you is that Alameda was definitely an institutional partner of Celsius um, and was engaging in uh, trading activities, borrowing Celsius assets and lending Celsius assets. And that um, as of the bankruptcy filing date, Alameda is one of the largest unsecured creditors to Celsius. I believe they're owed something like 10 or $15 million. I'd have to look back at my records. It's it's in the bankruptcy filings. But So Alameda ends up being one of the largest creditors to Celsius network. Um, and you can show on chain that there are hundreds of millions of dollars in transfers between Celsius and Alameda over the course of uh, you know a couple of years. Um, although it's difficult, you know, it's difficult to say for sure sometimes whose address is whose, but uh, I'm pretty confident that that's what's been going on. Um, so yeah, so you have Celsius is doing business with Alameda. Celsius is doing business with FTX. FTX gets paid back $108 million and Alameda ends up being owed 10 million. And it kind of, in a weird way, sort of reminds me of the Voyager thing that you mentioned where incidentally Voyager was a major, uh, party to Celsius network. They were one of, uh, Celsius networks, one of the largest counterparties for a while and was holding hundreds of millions of dollars in Voyager assets. And Voyager somehow magically managed to pull out in, in largely in March of 2021 before it collapsed. Um, but it's interesting that, yeah, there's Alameda and FTX keep getting involved in these crypto lending schemes that collapse. And it seems like they somehow come out okay, but, you know, not the customers of these things. Right, right. And, and we're going we're gonna to jump into to a, another part of that. But as you say that, it comes to my mind that, like, you know, I think – uh, you know, maybe one of the things that people, uh, who are just you know lay people in this world who might be reading about crypto here and there, they've probably mostly come across Sam Bankman-Fried's name, SBF, as the guy who will get like a line or two in pretty much every story about a crypto company failing, as like the 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 hero who swoops in, and. Mm -hmm has all this money to bail this company out because he's this like, you know, this this icon of the industry who a visionary who sees something in this company and knows how important they are to the industry. What what is the deal there? Like how is this guy always constantly there bailing these companies out? Uh, it seems like someone eventually would like a, a light, someone of importance. Unfortunately, in, in this world, unfortunately, that's that's not you or me. Or pe those people should be listening to you and me. Someone imp important to this world should be going like, what What's the deal here? How is this guy constantly like? Is he is he trying to like? And this is this is not me saying anything from any sort of background. This is just what I guess a, a individual would speculate. You know, is he trying to? cover his tracks here or something what is going on here i mean definitely that there's no question i mean the the voyager bailout or first of all calling it a bailout is kind of a misnomer because he's not really bailing them out what he's doing is he's absorbing the the, the remnants of these bankrupt companies right it's more like he's a, a vulture who swoops in and eats the carcass um or at least maybe even that's too generous honestly um we don't know yet. That's that's the thing we don't know yet is what what exactly is happening here. Um, you know, what we do know is that it seems like he's involved. He's involved in BlockFi, which is another crypto lending firm that went under um, due to lending to the three Eros Capital uh, hedge fund, which also turned out to be a Ponzi scam. Shocking. Um, he's involved in Voyager, which goes down because it's related to, again, 3AC and Celsius. And then he's involved in Celsius now. And it's just, it's really weird that this guy keeps popping up in all these places. And um, yeah, and the question of, you know, where's he get all this money from? I mean, it turns out that maybe he doesn't have as much money as uh, as he people think he does. Right. Do we, do, we, yeah, do we even know when he swoops in and like bails, quote unquote, these companies out and then all of a sudden, like in the case of like Voyager, just controls all the assets? Is money even being exchanged or are they just like got some like backroom deal where he just brings it on in and no one asks any questions about Voyager anymore. Well, so essentially what, like the, the way I understand the Voyager deal is that Sam didn't really pay all that much money for the company. It ended up being like $40 million or something in excess of the assets that he absorbed. Right. So really all he did was exchange uh, at, like money for crypto and loans that were owed owed to the company. Uh, he's not really like 
buying he's not really like paying more than the company is worth for it um so so yeah the question of like how much actual money he has right so he paid 51 million dollars for voyager's assets intellectual property and user base he paid 60 million dollars consisting of accumulated 50 dollar account credit for each voyager user who accessibly goes to ftx and a 20 million earnout balance so i mean like that's the thing is most of this all it is is him absorbing their he basically just takes their loan balances and absorbs them and then gives the crypto back to customers that's left. That's how I understand this. So like, it's really not like he's spending a billion dollars. It's really like he's spending $51 million. Right. But yeah. he, so, so, so there, there are, the, the, this was something I was wondering actually, before you, you quickly looked that up. Um, so the customers are factored in like there, there is, they are considered like I was wondering if like you know he takes it in and it's just like oh well all that debt or whatever wiped it's like those cust that cust the customers money never even existed um, they 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 are factored into the equation somehow even though obviously they're not going to get back uh, probably the bulk of what they they put in right exactly that's so essentially I think the way I understand this is that he's basically he gets these assets but he has to redistribute them to the customers essentially what he's doing is he's pulling these people in as FTX customers that's all he's doing. Um, and he's paying a very small amount of money to, I mean, $51 million isn't a small amount of money, but he's paying $51 million for the privilege of doing this. Um, that's the way I understand this deal. I mean, but it's gotta be worth it. I mean, it's, it's obviously a reason he does it. And it's like, you know, these people are obviously marks, you know what I mean? Like they already fell for the, yeah, they already fell for the Voyager thing. Um, and so bring them on board, get all their details, automatic FTX customers. And a lot of these people, it's like an addiction it's like a gambling addiction. They're going to be suckered into trading on FTX, uh, losing more money. Right. Uh, to, to obviously SBF's financial gain. Um, yeah. So let's, you know, that, that was just something I had to, I know it was a bit of a, uh, not off topic, but a little bit of a turn there. Let's turn back to Alameda. Um, so there was this Coindesk piece that came out. Um, that actually I actually saw from you tweeting it out, and they apparently got a look at Alameda's balance sheet. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what what's in here? Yeah. So it turns out that so it is it's worth it to go back over the fact that everyone views Sam Bankman Fried, and particularly the Alameda research component of his business as being this genius trading desk that has generated massive profits and just has huge amounts of cash lying around that they can use to buy, you know, any insolvent, um, any company at whatever valuation, do whatever they want. Right. That's, that's the impression that sort of the crypto quote unquote community has. And it turns out that Alameda actually has a lot of debt. And a lot of the assets that they have on their balance sheet are tokens that they've issued themselves through FTX. Um, so actually, it turns out that what Alameda appears to have been doing and what FTX, the, the whole essentially the whole Sam Bankman fried uh, quote unquote empire is doing is the same thing that Celsius Network was doing, which is create a token, hold most of that token. And then manage to churn that token to the point where it's worth billions of dollars and then put it on your balance sheet mark to market and say, hey, we have all of these assets against these, you know, this only seven billion dollars in liabilities. But we have billions of dollars in these these tokens that are totally worth what we say they're worth. Um, and in practice, what it turns out is that it would be impossible for them to liquidate any significant fraction of those tokens without crashing the market to zero. Huh. So you you have you have a piece coming out yourself now. By the time you know, I haven't seen it yet because you're 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 working on it. But mm -hmm. by the time it publishes, this episode uh, will be out. So can you tell us a little bit about what you got going on there? Yeah. So I'm basically going to try to prove what I just said. Um, you know, I I have my own sources and um, I have a pretty good idea of uh, the valuation of some of these other assets on Alameda's balance sheet. And uh, what I can say is that in addition, so so essentially what the Coindesk article shows, okay, is that Alameda has about $14.6 billion in quote-unquote assets, has $8 billion in liabilities, of which 
$7.4 billion is loans from unspecified parties. So they have roughly $6 billion in, in net equity, uh, meaning that they're look at all the money that we have. In practice, uh, 88% of that is this FTT token, which is the token issued by Sam Bankman Fried's FTX exchange. And in fact, the amount of the tokens that they have on their balance sheet is in excess of the total circulating market cap of that token presently. What? Because they're locked tokens. They're locked tokens. So they so one of the one of the parts of these schemes is that what they do is they they'll have a market cap of like, you know, a billion tokens, but then they'll lock a bunch of the tokens so that they gradually get released over time. You know, all of all of crypto believes in this idea of like somehow this really simplified idea of, of supply and demand where like as long as you keep the supply fixed of a of a token, it's always going to be worth something. That's it's this weird I've never totally understood this like fallacy that that underlies all of this stuff. But yeah, so they they hold more tokens than are currently actually circulating in exchanges. So the idea being here that you know if Alameda you know had to actually pay back the seven point four billion dollars in loans, and they do have other assets, right? I mean, they have three point four billion in other crypto. They have a couple billion in uh, in, in investments in equity securities, which are again unspecified. Um, as well as a couple billion dollars worth of other assets, a large portion of which are other uh, essentially shit coins that are issued by projects that Sam Bankman Fried has been involved with, like the Serum Market, um, Oxygen Network, MAPS, and FIDA. Um, and what I what I've found is that hundreds of millions of dollars on their balance sheet, at least, is attributable to these other tokens that are equally um, worthless in the sense that they can't actually be liquidated for cash without destroying the markets for them. So, so it's, it sounds like Alameda basically doesn't have much of anything really. Like it's all again, just on, on paper. It's smoke and mirrors. It's, it, it ends up being if, and you know, this, this assumes, you know, that Alameda and FTX did not respond to the CoinDesk article. Um, so we can't know for certain whether or not this leaked balance sheet is actually real. Um, the fact they didn't respond, I think says a lot, but it's possible that it's not, but assuming that this balance sheet is for real and that this is what their financial position was as of June 30th, 2022. Um, and assuming things haven't changed all that much since that time. Um, yeah, they, they're in a a very precarious financial position to say the least. Um, the only of their assets, only like $130 million worth were actual dollars like cash. All right. Out of fourteen billion dollars worth of supposed assets, one percent of their assets is cash. I mean, it's I gotta amend my statement because at least with like when you got money on paper, the the uh, belief is you know you just gotta go ahead and sell it off. Like you know you may tank the value after the sell off, but you'll be able to sell it off. It doesn't sound like they can even do that. Like there's nothing to that they can't sell that off even. Well, so here's here's an example for you, okay? Like, let's look at the F, the FTT token, which is the one that that basically makes up about ninety percent of Alameda's net equity. All right, uh, only ten addresses on the Ethereum chain they hold ninety three percent of the total tokens in existence. Okay, it's highly concentrated. Secondly, of all of the addresses holding FTT, only about two hundred of them are typically active on a given day. All right. Compare that with Chainlink, which is another crypto coin that is actually fairly popular and actually people trade it around, although whether or not it's worth anything is a separate question. Um, It has a similar market cap to FTT. It has thousands of wallets every day transacting in it, right? So what that shows is that there's actually people using this Chainlink for whatever they're using it for. Nobody's using this FTT token, right? Right. Nobody cares. (laughs) <laughs> it's all literally almost all of it is owned by Alameda research and likely by FTX. It, it literally is not, nobody wants it. So the thing is if Alameda, let's say Alameda has to pay back some of this, you know, billions of dollars in debt, what are their options? You know, they have a few billion dollars in crypto they could sell, which would probably crash the market given what happened when Celsius went under. Um, so they could sell off their real assets and leave the leave the coins or the tokens like FTT back, or they could try to sell their FTT token. 
And in practice, they can't do that because they are the market for FTT token. FTX is the market for this token. Uh, they're buying it themselves to drive the price up, which is the same thing Celsius was doing. And so they can't liquidate any of it. It's worthless. And so they can say, like, they can market on their balance sheet and say, look, this is worth $5 billion. In practice, it's not realizable gains. It's worth nothing. It's zero. It should be marked to zero. I mean, I don't even know what to say. This is like, I, I'm, you know, it's, it's, we're, we're, in, we're in, in November now. The holidays are coming. I'm thinking of that that scene from Elf, uh, where El the uh, you know what's his face uh, yells at uh, the, the fake Santa Claus. You sit on a throne of lies. Like it seems like that's what SBF is. Like this is just the makes sense why he couldn't pull through for the Dems with that billion dollar promise. He don't have a billion dollars, it seems, to 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 sell off and actually have that money in cash to give them. Exactly. <laughs> Amazing. Oh my god. So where where do we go like as someone who's been on this Celsius beat for longer than anyone I've come across. And now obviously you are hot on the trail of uh you know SBF's uh origami empire. I don't know what to call it. <laughs> um what are you what are you looking into like what is the next thing you're looking for like what are we what where are we where do we go from here i don't know man <laughs> i mean like what is going to make people realize like it just blows it my matter. mind you're not going to make people realize all right there's still there are still a lot of people out there who think celsius was legitimate there are a lot of people out there who still think that okay these people are never they're never going to listen because sunk cost fallacy is real, confirmation bias is real, and human nature is real, and people are people. And you're not going to – you know, there's, there's a funny thing if you look back in history. There, there are a number of uh, cults that have, have popped up in existence where the leader of the cult will predict the end of the world is going to happen on a certain date. And what they've showed is that after that date comes and goes and it turns out the world didn't end – you know, some of the people leave the cult saying, you don't know what the hell you're talking about. But the people who stay, they believe even more. Right. Right. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's, you're absolutely right. Like, you know, I, I have another. People, it will take people losing everything. And that's what's going. Unfortunately, that's probably what's going to happen here. Because realistically, there is nothing of value. There's nothing of value here. Like, even if even if blockchain technology has purposes or or there's opportunities involved in in this technology which realistically i i'm not i'm honestly not a, a programmer or a software engineer so like my opinion on that is, is not really significant but even if it was none of this stuff matters like none of this stuff is relevant it's not useful like the projects that have come about that have been invented up to this point are not useful projects they don't produce anything of value they just move money around and essentially what they end up doing is taking money from one person's pocket and they put it in another person's pocket. That's all they're designed to do. Right. And the pocket is usually the insiders and the VCs and the, you know, the lot of old finance people that uh, crypto is supposedly supposed to liberate us from. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it, I, I, you know, I have a, I have a, another show where basically I cover like extremist groups and cults and, you know, movements like that. And sometimes I get so wrapped up in like just like the classic scams on this show that I, I, I often, like you just did, have to be reminded that like, no, this is literally more like that other stuff. Like it's more like the other stuff I cover where people are not looking at this as like your classic fraud or criminal activity. They are it's, – it's a religion. It's a cult. They're hooked. And it's – it's it's quite a ride to see all these worlds just like meld into one, and you know that's what crypto is. Um, Mike Burgersberg, the last time you came on this show, we we talked really quickly about um, how, or, or I think it was the day of you came on the show, you got kicked out of your Twitter account mm -hmm. um, because of we don't know, but the speculation was that it was because some of this work you were doing because it didn't make any sense that account after account of yours were being like you would be getting locked out of all of a sudden. 
I, I'm happy to see you have your account back. Uh, mm-hmm. You even have your your newsletter, your Substack back, which is briefly taken down too, coincidentally mm-hmm. during this time period. And obviously, it's back. This is where you publish this stuff. So please tell people where they can find you online, where they could find your work. Um, please, the floor is yours. Feel free to to drop all links, plugs, whatever you'd like. So I tweet at at Mike Burgersberg on Twitter. Um, I write my blog at dirtybubblemedia at substack.com. My Twitter is basically a a journal of my thoughts and uh, my investigations as they happen in real time. So if you want to see how these things come about and how I kind of figure things out as I go, uh, I think it might be kind of enjoyable to watch that. Um, but yeah, the, the real, the real meaty stuff is on, is on my blog and Substack. So I got to say, whenever you, you know, wherever you, whenever you drop like a real meaty piece, I get that tweet with like you tagging me and a bunch of like the other big, like crypto skeptic or anti-crypto like journalists or podcasters. And whenever it pops in my feed, I'm like rubbing my hands together. Like, Oh, what did Mike cook up now? <laughs> what did, what did he find out now? So, uh, really love your work. Uh, always a pleasure to talk with you. Yeah, thanks, man. I mean, I don't have to tell you guys that we will be talking way more about SBF, FTX, and Almeida on future episodes of this show. I mean, it honestly wouldn't surprise me if I'm talking even not so far into the future. And guess what? The future is now. Everything you just heard was recorded just about two days ago. And here I am inserting this update that's being recorded the afternoon of Sunday, November 6th. Just this morning, CZ, the CEO of Binance, tweeted out, as part of Binance's exit from FTX equity last year, Binance received roughly 2.1 billion USD equivalent in cash, BUSD, and FTT. Due to recent revelations that have come to light, we have decided to liquidate any remaining FTT on our books. And just in case you're wondering what those recent revelations that have come to light are, well, go to CZ's likes. And the last tweet he liked was from Mike Burgersberg himself tweeting out his piece that published on Friday, Is Alameda Research Insolvent? And in response to that, Mike tweeted out, So SBF is going to have to find $580 million to buy back this FTT. Like I said, there will be a lot more to talk about in the not-so-distant future. But for right now, you can go to patreon.com slash mattbinder to support this show. A monthly subscription helps me grow this show, create more content, disperse the content we're already creating on all sorts of mediums. It's just a big help if you'd like to see more of Scam Economy. And of course, you could go to youtube.com slash mattbinder to check out the video version of this episode. You can also check out the live post shows I do. You can call in and talk to me too, where they are multicasted, not just on YouTube, but also at twitch.tv slash mapbinder, where you can follow me there. And if you're an Amazon Prime subscriber, Amazon gives you a free Twitch Prime subscription to give to your favorite creator each month. It means at no extra cost to you, you get to make sure your favorite Twitch creator, I'm hoping that's me, that's why I'm telling you about this, you get to make sure a small portion of your Amazon Prime fees that you pay to Amazon gets kicked over to that Twitch creator. Feel free to throw me your Twitch Prime subscription every month at twitch.tv slash mattbinder. Follow me on Twitter, as long as that lasts, at mattbinder. Follow the Scam Economy account as well, at Scam Economy and ScamEconomy.com for all the links to the podcast version of this show. If you're checking it out, Apple Podcasts or Spotify, why not take the second and leave a review, which in turn helps push this show up the charts on either of those platforms and gets it in front of more eyeballs. And speaking of more eyeballs, be sure to check out the previous episode of Scam Economy, Scam Economy episode 36, all about Yuga Labs, the parent company of the Bored Ape Yacht Club NFT project. I spoke with two reporters at Fast Company who got to sit down with them and find out some insider stuff about this company. And 
the interest in this episode resulted in the largest single download day in this show's almost year-long history. And with all that said, I'll see you all next time in the scam economy. 